0: Please open the precious Word of God to Romans chapter 5. As we just sang, how can tongue or pen describe the subject before us? Lord, have mercy upon us. Romans chapter 5. At verse 6. For when we were yet without strength... In due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Amen and amen. This is the gospel message to God's elect. They're the only ones that will hear it with joy. They're the only ones that will understand it. They're the only ones that will take a message like this and let it change their lives. And it will change their lives. Father in heaven, bless us by your grace and mercy to describe your love to your people. The context introduced the love of God for the first time in the epistle of Romans, in verse 5, which we have spent a couple of weeks looking at. Those verses 1 through 5 describe spiritual blessings, five of them in particular, that God has given us, and the fifth of which was the love of God that is revealed to us on the inside by the Spirit of God, who causes us to cry, Abba, Father. How much does God love you? Does He love you enough so that you can glory in your tribulations? How much does God love you? Does He love you enough that you know you will never be ashamed? That's the context of verses 3-5 through 5 of Romans 5. Remember, we glory in tribulations as our fourth blessing because we know something about tribulations. They work patience. Patience leads to experience. Experience causes hope, and hope will never leave us ashamed because God confirms His love inside us and nothing can separate us from that love. So we can glory no matter what the tribulation is, and we can even pass from life through death, into eternal life, knowing that God loves us. This is the greatest love of all. The world can speak about it, sing about it, your souls can crave it, but this is love. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and gave His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. First John 4.1 True hope, hope that is based on the revelation of those first five verses, Hope that is based on knowing that God loves you will never be confounded. The Bible says, hope deferred maketh the heart sick. But when you know the gospel of Jesus Christ and you believe it by faith, your heart will never be sick because He will never leave you nor forsake you. I will. Your best friend will. Your parents will. Your spouses will. But He will never leave you nor forsake you. And I don't care if any of you spouses or parents want to try to tell us that you would never leave your children because you would. We're all selfish by nature compared to the God of heaven. Your hope will never lead you to be sick in your soul. Whosoever believeth on him, the Bible says, shall never be ashamed. Shall never be confounded. Shall never be... Be disappointed, I add that one. The first two were straight out of the Word of God. We know God is faithful, has a wise purpose in the trials of verses 3 through 5, and is going to deliver us soon because God will receive us or God will receive me. Psalm 49 and verse 15. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, no matter how severe the earthly trial no matter how overwhelming or discouraging, no matter how painful or costly it might be to you, it's there for your profit because God is always loving you and He doesn't allow a single thing to happen to a sparrow or to you who are of more value than many sparrows that is not for your good and His glory and His love is still shining through. Even before deliverance is seen or realized, God's love is there, and you should know that. And it's why we come together into this house to remind ourselves by song and reading Scripture and hearing testimonies and praying for it that God will increase our knowledge of His love for us. Remember how we closed last Lord's Day with Ephesians 3 where Paul prayed for the Ephesians that they would by the power of the Holy Spirit learn a level of knowledge of Jesus Christ and His love for them until they would be filled with all the fullness of God. That is one fantastic blessing, and we seek some of that today by considering these verses in Romans 5. God's love, we need to consider it, how personal it is. It's individual. God shall receive me. It's permanent. Nothing can separate us from His love. And it's powerful. It'll see you through death, life, principalities, powers. There's no devil in hell that can separate you from the love of God. They are separated from the love of God, but they can't separate you from the love of God. They would like to separate you from the love of God, but they cannot. Because He has set His love upon us, and none can stay His hand or say unto Him, What doest thou? He has chosen to love us at their expense. They shall be consumed, tormented is a better word, for eternity in a paradise of hell, fire. While we are in a paradise of glory with the Lord of glory. How can you appreciate his love? As our brother just prayed a few moments ago, he loved you before you loved him. How can you appreciate his love? His love for you is not like your love for him. You have a hard time giving him a living sacrifice every day. When you read, this is what I told my children last night, and I think I'll even come back to this again before we finish. When you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, how many times have I heard the readers of that book say to me, I don't know if I could do that. Let's think about those words for a moment. We know in our hearts that it is hard for us to be a living sacrifice for our God. Though He be our Creator, though He be our Savior, Though he be infinitely beautiful in every character trait, we can't even live for him. Right. Without great difficulty, and we fail every day, don't we? So when you read Fox's Book of Murders, you say to me, "I don't know if I could do that. You don't know if you could die for your God, your creator, your savior? Infinitely beautiful in every character trait? To be received into heaven as a martyr? You couldn't die for him. I understand. I have your heart as well. Although I hope I would. How can we prove that we would die for him? Live for him. But I say to you, God died for you while you hated him There is nothing beautiful about you. On your best day, you are altogether vanity and found less than nothing in the balanced scales of heaven. He has to humble himself to behold the things in heaven, let alone to get down and look at you. This is what the Bible says about all of us. There's no glory in man. The glory is all in God. And yet he gave himself for us. Unbelievable. You want to rejoice in being loved? You can't love anything like that, and you don't. Not even God. Praise the Lord. Oh, Heavenly Father, show us your love today. It is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And brethren, if you don't know what I'm talking about when I say that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which is given to us, I mean, if you don't understand Romans 5.5 that Paul gave us, it's your fault, not God's fault. It's your fault, not the Bible's error. It's because you have grieved, you've offended, you've hurt the Holy Spirit of God, so He is not shedding that love abroad in your heart. You have quenched the fire. Let's take another metaphor for the Holy Spirit. You have quenched the Holy Spirit so that fire, that torch, is not burning as brightly to shed abroad into every recess and corner of your heart that God loves you. The closer you are to God, by the Spirit of God, you will absolutely know that your name is written in heaven, and that if you were to have the big one in the next second, you would be with the Lord. Paul did not doubt that matter. Paul was not confused about that matter. Paul knew whom he had believed and was persuaded that he was able to keep that, his soul, which he had committed unto him against that day. But look at Philippians. The Bible assumes that you should know this. The Holy Spirit teaches us from the inside out That God loves us. Look at Philippians 2.1. Or hear it. The apostle reasons this way as he opens up Philippians 2. If there be therefore. Any consolation in Christ. Hello. If. If. If there be therefore. Any consolation in Christ. If. Any comfort of love. If. If. "...any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, if, 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 four ifs, if there be any love, if there be any consolation of the Spirit, if there be any fellowship of the Spirit, are there those things? Indeed, and in abundance, by the Spirit of God... For those walking in the Spirit, for every child of God that has by experience learned what it is to be in fellowship with God and what it is to be out of fellowship with God, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know that there are times where your soul is bursting with joy and rejoicing and thanksgiving about the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. God is your Father and you are going to heaven there are other times where you are not sure if you want Him to come because you're having a pretty good time now, but you're really frustrated and unhappy with yourself and blah, 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 you're not sure if you're saved and you wish you could see the book of life so that you could see your name. It's because the Spirit of God is quenched and grieved because Romans 5.5 5 tells us that God's love is not a secret. It's shed abroad. Abroad, throughout your heart. Abroad. A long way. Broad. In your heart. It gets into the corners of it. So that you can assure your heart before God. Look at 1 John chapter 3. About the Holy Spirit. I know we're not even to verse 6 yet. But we're getting there. There was too many things that we've left. From 5. This is the first time the love of God's been mentioned in Romans the word hasn't even occurred yet he had to deal with justification and get rid of the law of moses now he can talk about the good stuff the good stuff being the love of god and then the good stuff our love for god and us living as servants of the most high god who's loved us in chapters 6 through 8 but in 1 john chapter 3 look at these verses 1 john 3:23 this is his commandment and i will come back to this as we close This is His commandment. You want to know what God's will is for your life? This is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, as He gave us commandment. And He that keepeth His commandments dwelleth in Him, and He in Him. And hereby we know that He abideth in us by the Spirit which He hath given us. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you love your brother, you are doing so with the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. And if you are doing those things, then you can know that God dwells in you, and you're dwelling in Him. How do I know that I'm walking with God? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and love His children. How about chapter 4 and verse 12? 1 John four twelve. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another... God dwelleth in us and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us because He hath given us of His Spirit. If you love, it is proof that God is in you and you are in God because it's only the Holy Spirit that could cause you to do that and through you is being perfected the love of God because God is love. And no man has ever seen God at any time but we know about the character trait of God it is love. And if we love one another, and we have so many differences, and we offend each other, and we irritate each other, and we disappoint each other, and we frustrate each other, but if we love one another, the love of God's being perfected in us. And it's the proof He's in us, we're in Him. And by what power? The Holy Spirit. Back to Romans 5, 5. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we have these blessings in our lives. So we come to Romans chapter five and verse six. Oh Lord, show us your love. Explain your love to us. Convince us that we can glory in our tribulations, that we truly stand in a state of grace, that we should rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Show us your love. Fill our hearts with it. Tell us about it. Okay? I will. Verse 6. For when we were yet without strength. The condition we were in when God set His love upon us was one of helplessness. We were without strength. We could do nothing to cooperate with Him, help Him, please Him, or win His approval. He just chose to love. The greatest being in the universe chose not to love many, And he chose to love some. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Romans 9 and verse 15 quoted from Moses. In both Testaments, he makes that choice. And his choice was set upon us when there was nothing lovely about us. There was nothing lovable about us. When we were yet without strength. He looked upon the children of men. The Bible tells us in Psalm 14, the Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. And how many were there? None. No. Not one. There was no strength to understand Him. There was no strength to seek Him. Listen, He was our Creator. He put us in a Garden of Eden where all we had to do was dress the garden a little bit. And there was all manner of fruit, fruit trees bearing fruit in their season that we could eat from. The ground had not been cursed. Human society hadn't been cursed. The world was free. And God was our friend. And we said, we don't want you as our friend. We enjoy talking to the devil instead. And we'd rather sin against you and eat off the tree that you told us not to eat from. We made that choice. And we died. In that day, God told Adam, In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Our strength toward God died. There was no more strength toward Him. And in that condition, He loved us. And He gave His Son for us. For when we were yet without strength, I have had pleasure. Considering that word yet. Because why is it there in verse 6? For when we were yet without strength, And why is it in verse 8? While we were yet sinners. I want you to think about this. Why did Jesus not come for 4,000 years? Okay? Why? Couldn't He have come the next day? After Adam? Couldn't He have come as soon as the proclamation was made to the devil? That woman's going to have a seed that's going to bruise your head. You might bruise his heel. by the way, I hope you were able to see a little tiny bit of that. In Psalm 49 and verse 5, but I didn't want to get waylaid this morning, so I'm waylaying myself right now in Psalm 49 and verse 5 when it talks about the iniquity of your heels. Just, it's your feet that carry you into sin, but it is also a statement made in the very first chapters of the Bible. That the devil is only going to be able to touch the heel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because we're in Him, that's all they're able to do to us. And if we had our perspective right, dying is just having a little sore on your heel. Never mind. When we were yet without strength, why did it take 4,000 years? Because God was going to display to our race how ugly we were. That's why it took 4,000 years. You say, can you show me that with the Bible? I will show you that with the Bible, God gave the law to Moses 1,500 years before Jesus Christ so that sin might become exceeding sinful. Romans chapter 7, and verse 13. We know that all things whatsoever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped talking about the glory of man, and every man may become guilty before God. The purpose of the law was to show man his sinfulness. Do you think we might have that in this chapter? This chapter describes three dispensations. I am a dispensationalist. Brother, don't get up and leave. I am a dispensationalist. I I laugh with you. Holy laughter, brother. Three dispensations. From Adam to Moses. From Moses to John the Baptist. And we're in number three. And it's the last one. We are not waiting for some millennial kingdom because we are in the millennial kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in the gospel kingdom that was preached by John, Jesus, and the apostles. Those are the three dispensations. All three are right here. Are we in a state of grace right now? Verses one and two. What state of grace are we in? Dispensation three. Did men die from Adam to Moses in dispensation number one according to verse 14? Did men die from Adam to Moses even before there was a law given? Because they were all guilty of Adam's transgression. Original sin. We believe a whole lot more than original sin. We believe the doctrine of representation that we are held accountable individually and personally for what Adam did in the Garden of Eden. And that's why men died. And then there is the law dispensation. And do you want to know from chapter 5 what the law was for? It's verses 20 and 21. Moreover, the law entered. Dispensation number 2. Moreover, the law entered. Moses went up on Mount Sinai and came down and along with other revelations from God came up with 718 little commandments that all they had to do was keep them all perpetually for their entire lives without a single mistake and they could go to heaven when they died. Moreover, the law It's the truth. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. What Adam did was nothing compared to what we would do when we were handed a law book in writing. Oh, Lord, help me. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That's the purpose of the law. That is why it took 4,000 years, and that's why in your English King James Bibles, we have the little word yet. Because yet, as God waited for 4,000 years, did He see any improvement in the race? Has He seen any improvement in your life apart from grace? None, no, not one. Not one person and not one little bit. That is why he waited for 4,000 years. The law was our schoolmaster. The law was like God being a father. And he had a child, a little child. Now you don't give a little child an estate. And so the progression of Christianity over 6,000 years is 4,000 years when Paul wrote Galatians 4. He's comparing it to a father with a little child that is treated no differently than a servant until he becomes of age. But until he becomes of age, he's under tutors and governors to learn something. And what was he to learn by the law? That he was a sinner and an exceedingly great sinner. And so we have the word yet. There's been no progress. Brethren, I was talking to my brother Newell yesterday. As we reveled, And you can get the answer to any question inside of two seconds by doing a Google search. In general. I mean anything. When I run into a computer problem, he and Matthew have taught me, just go to Google and type in a question. How do I do this? Boom, there's an answer. Anything they want to know. On any subject, you can read until you die. But are we closer to God? No. Because we are ever learning? and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Is the human race getting better? Are we closer to God? Are we more godly? Are you kidding? We've come up with the idea that we came from monkeys and that men ought to marry men and women ought to marry women. That is an incredible accomplishment of progress in our race. How fast did this show itself in the history of the world? You can't get to Genesis chapter 6. If you read for 20 minutes... You cover 1556 years of history and God looks down upon men and saw that they had corrupted His way upon, they had what? Corrupted. He loved us when we were corrupted. Right. He looked down and said, they have corrupted my way on the earth. Every thought of man's heart is evil from his youth continually. So He drowned the earth. Was Noah any better when He got off the ark? Yep. He's looked. For 4,000 years, so he brought the law of God from Moses, and we failed that. For when we were yet without strength, he did not wait until the human race improved itself, and neither did he wait until you improved yourself before he sent his Son for you. He sent His Son for you when you hadn't improved at all, and you were still defiled, corrupt, and hung in the dungeon of prison, strapped down because you were so wild, you would have burst into the flames of hell if it hadn't been for His providential mercy holding you back from yourself. There is what inside of every one of us, hell fire, that will burst forth in flames against anyone or anything, against any commandment of God, and be a rebel against God, just like Adam was. Where art thou? I'm hiding in the trees because I'm naked. And I was afraid because of this woman you gave me that got me into trouble. And the woman says, it's the devil that you made that got me into trouble. Blame, blame, blame everywhere. And God loved us anyway. And we're not improving. The Bible says evil seducers shall wax worse and worse. Deceiving, meaning there's a whole lot of people getting worse by being deceived. And those deceivers are being deceived. Evil seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. 2 Timothy 3, verse 13. Why is the word yet there? Because there was no progress, no improvement, and God waited 4,000 years and tried different approaches. The Garden of Eden didn't work. A little reminder like the flood didn't work. How can you sin after you get off the ark? It didn't work. Are you... Was Mount Sinai of some level of drama? Had they just come through the Red Sea and seen the greatest nation on earth drowned? Was the mountain altogether on fire like a furnace? Was it shaking and trembling? Even if an animal got close to it, was it supposed to be killed? Did they keep it? Uh, Hello? Hello? While before Moses could get back down with the two tablets of stone, what were they doing? These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, a golden calf. You say, well, I would never do that. No, you probably wouldn't be smart enough to make something as attractive as a golden calf. You would worship somebody like James LeBron. (laughs) Come on, you want to pick on them for worshiping a golden calf? A golden calf looks a whole lot more like God than James LeBron. And it acts a whole lot better than he does. Never mind. Some of you don't even know. Just write me an email. I'll send you one. It'll be the Monday update. Who is James LeBron? For when we were yet without strength in due time, who's due timing? We would have said it was due time in the Garden of Eden. But in the Lord's due time, it was 4,000 years after creation, 2,000 years ago from us, He sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for the ungodly. There was no improvement. There was no progress. Every method He had tried, prophets raising up early and sending them at times, made no progress with us. The law of God didn't do it. Paradise didn't do it. A flood didn't do it. So he sent Jesus Christ anyway to die for us. Unbelievable. Amazing love. How can it be? Romans 5, 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. What a demonstration of love to die for the ungodly. Now the purpose of these verses is very simple. The love of God has been introduced in verse 5. The love of God in verse 5 is said to be shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit, by inspiring Paul's words, is now going to exalt the love of God in several ways. Oh, he's not through. Because we're going to get back into the love of God in Romans chapter 8. But right here, he's going to exalt it by describing our condition and lack of improvement when he died for us. For when we were yet without strength as a race and as individuals in due time 4,000 years should make the point to all of us Christ died for the ungodly he didn't live for the ungodly he died for the ungodly he wants us to live for him I'm back to my point for the second time and I'm going to try to squeeze in I'm going to try to squeeze in a third and that's for us to live for him He doesn't even ask us to die for Him in this generation, except to mortify the deeds of our flesh. Do you know what He asks us to kill in our life? All those things that mess up our lives. (laughs) And we have trouble doing that? The God who died for us when we were yet without strength in the ungodly asks us to live for Him by mortifying, meaning putting to death, the lusts of our flesh. The lusts of your flesh will ruin your life. And so God just asks us, why don't you get rid of the things that ruin your life? Will you do that for me who died for you? You want to talk about free grace and free salvation? That's about as free as it gets. The only thing he asked is for us to get rid of the things that destroy us. And, we, and, and when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. When God saw you in the orphanage of this world, or in the palace dungeon of the devil... What did he see that would prompt him to want to deliver you at the greatest expense conceivable to a divine mind? To the divine mind. What did he see? My nails were all grown out. My hair was grown out like bird feathers. I was strapped down with the manacles of even the devil wanting to restrain me. Down there in a deep dark dungeon. Of the devil's palace. And the Lord said, I want to adopt him. The payment is the blood of your son. I'll gladly pay it. It pleased the Lord to bruise his son for me. And you're wondering about the love of God? Fall upon your knees and your heart right now and ask for God to shed the love of God abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. His love is unbelievable. You will never love anyone. Like God loves you. No one will ever love you like God loves you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet, peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. There are exceptional cases in the annals of human history where a man has laid down his life for another. It usually occurs in one of three ways and the first one is the rarest because he's good or righteous. When was the last time you read about another man dying for a man because he was righteous? Very rare. Second, a man will lay down his life for a friend. That happens from time to time. Third, in the call of duty Which The reason I'm going over these points is I want you to recognize how different they are from what God did for us. The call of duty is a fireman going into a house to rescue those that are still in it while the house is burning down, and he lays down his life. He dies in the act. I want you to remember that when he dies in that fire, it's because of training, it's because of adrenaline, it's because he thought he could make it, That's a thought of survival. It's because of the rules of engagement of firemen. It's because of the thoughts of glory, of being a hero for rescuing someone. It's because of the emotional appeals of the screaming person out of the third story window. It's for all these reasons. But none of those reasons affected the God of glory. The God of glory had no duty to save. That's why He has left the devil, and that's why He has left the vessels of wrath to the punishment they deserve. He had no duty to save. He chose it as a prerogative of His great and holy will to save and to deliver us by the death of His Son. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet, peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. That verse 7 is put in there, first of all, our condition in verse 6, then in verse 7, a condition that we do not measure up to, very rarely would another man ever die for a man in that condition. But we don't have that condition. Our condition is without strength and ungodly. So he's just building a case for us to appreciate the love of God for us. But, but, in verse 8, but, there is a scarcity... There is a peradventure and there is a dare in verse 7. But there is something solid, certain, and a fact of the gospel in verse 8. But God commendeth His love toward us. To commend something is to exalt it and to lift it up and to make it special and to show all of its beauty. How does God exalt it and lift it up and show us all the beauty of His love? By describing our condition in verse 6, by describing the fact that we don't understand anything about love in verse 7, because we wouldn't even do it for a good and righteous man, and then to say in verse 8 that God did it for us while we were yet sinners. Not while we were good, not while we were righteous, not while we were God's friend. We actually told God, I don't want you as my friend in the Garden of Eden. And brethren, you've told him that so many times in your life. He should have got the message by now and never befriended you. Right. But he has befriended us before the world began. Amen. He inscribed our names on the palm of his hand right. and in the book of life. And we cannot be taken out of his hand. Amen. But God commendeth. He exalts and honors and praises his love in this way, in that while we were yet sinners. Very different from the righteous and good men of verse 7. Very different from the friend of John fifteen thirteen, where it says, No greater love hath a man than for a man to lay down his life for his friend. We're not his friend, we're not righteous, and we're not good. But God commendeth His love toward us. The apostle's goal is still the same from verse 5. Since I've told you about God's love, Let me remind you of your condition, your lack of progress, in verse 6. Let me tell you that in your race, men do not die for each other, even when they're good and righteous. Let me tell you that in distinction of all that, by the word but, I loved you and gave my son the most expensive gift that could ever be given while you were still a sinner. In that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, there was no progress being made in our lives. You know, the good Samaritan did a very commendable thing, but God's love infinitely outstrips His love. Amen. He had no relationship with that Jew, wounded Jew that was in the ditch. The cost was going to be insignificant. He, the time involved would be insignificant. So he stopped, he bound up his wounds put him on his ass, carried him to an inn, gave a few, a little bit of money to cover him until he's better. That's all. We were in that ditch, screaming obscenities at the God of heaven that passed by. And when the God of heaven passed by, the only way He could rescue us from our insane rebellion was to pound and rip and gouge and pierce His only begotten Son. And He did that for us. And He did it for us. And he did it for us even though that son begged for mercy. And for him to find another way, he did it for us. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Lord Jesus Christ died for us. Now for the third time, we are dealing with the creator of heaven and earth. His name is Jehovah. I am that I am. Let there be light. And there was light. That God, the great and dreadful God, loved us and gave himself for us. Do you want to know how great it is? Since these verses are designed to teach us how great it is, do you have difficulty living for him? All you have to do to live for him is to get rid of those things that he hates and that ruin your life. He tells you all the good things that will make your life better. He tells you all the bad things that will make your life worse and destroy it. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. He says, my commandments are not grievous. My commandments will save your life. Do we have a daily struggle to do those things? We can't even live for him. He's the creator God. He's infinitely beautiful in every trait. He sent his son to die for us. He sent us the gospel. He gave you all the carnal and material blessings that you have in your life. What do you want to pick on Him about? What do you want to say He didn't do much for you? How do you want to say that? And yet we find it hard to live for Him. Would you die for Him right now? If this little church building were surrounded by the humanists that control our country, nope, too easy going down in a hail of machine gun bullets is just too easy. If you were to be tortured and pulled apart on the rack one quarter of an inch at a time, like our brethren were during the Inquisition of the Dark Ages, all you would have to do is say, yes, I believe that the Pope is the vicar of Jesus Christ on earth. All you'd have to do is say, okay, okay, the Pope, he's the man. You can go free. What would you say? No, Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. I know no other man. And then be pulled apart on that rack. As it it begins to separate you in all of your main joints, as a five-foot-nine man becomes a six-foot-one man, as you start getting pulled apart one quarter of an inch at a time, and you're continually hassled, about all. if you want to stop the pain, all you have to do is say, the Pope has his place between God and men. And you can be free. Are you willing to die for Him is my whole point. You can't live for Him. So are you willing to die for Him? He's your Creator. One second after you die, you're going to be in His presence. He sent His Son to die for you. Why can't you die for Him? Why can't you live for Him? He died for us when we were without strength making no progress, ungodly, and still sinners. He died for unbelievable. Why can't we die for Him? Why can't we get excited about dying for Him? You say, well, I can get excited as long as I don't see it on the horizon. Okay, can we live for Him? He wants us to put our flesh to death. Can we live for Him who died for us? The love of Christ that we have just heard about should sustain us. Romans 5. Glory in tribulations because they lead to patience. Patience provides you with experience, and experience teaches you something called hope. And hope will never disappoint you, because God loves you, and that is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit given to you. Is God's love sufficient to sustain you through any tribulation? It is not a matter of if God is going to send you tribulations. It is a matter of when and what kind. Are you ready? The love of God should see you through them. There is nothing, not height, nor depth, nor any creature, not angels, nor principalities, nor life, nor death, nor anything that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus your Lord. If you've lived a pretty peaceful life for the last few weeks, months, or years, I'm going to tell you, tribulation is coming. In the world, ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And how is that communicated to us? I love you. I am not going to let anything happen to you. Grin and bear it. My son did for you. Will you grin and bear a little bit for me? The love of Christ should constrain us. The Apostle Paul's constrain means to compel, to force, to oblige someone to do something. The love of Christ forces us. To do something. The Apostle Paul said, The love of Christ constraineth us. What made Paul crazy? That's what he was accused of in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He was beside himself. Why was he so on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ? Because he understood Christ's love for him. What in the world to burn myself out for him is nothing after what he's done for me. The love of Christ constraineth me. Because we thus judge, as Brother Jerry prayed, we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that they which live should henceforth not live unto themselves, but unto Him that loved them and died for them. It should constrain you to live for Him. He died for you, and I hope by doing it three times, and now I'm sneaking it in the fourth, I hope that you'll remember He died for you. Can you live for Him the rest of this day? When someone comes up and offends you today... Can you just smile and grin and bear it and rejoice in the opportunity to love another? Because if you love another, the love of God is being perfected in you and the Holy Spirit is assuring your heart that God dwells in you and you in God and you have eternal life. The love of Christ should provoke us to love one another. I opened this morning with 1 John 4.10 that said herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us And sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 11. Beloved. Listen to that text again. Herein is love. We've just heard about it from Romans 5. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. When we were without strength, when we were still sinners, when we were ungodly. He did that for us. Next verse. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. That is how we put the gospel of God's love for us into practice. Beloved, what's that word stuck in there for? Is that just a term of formality? Beloved, you're loved of God. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. May God bless us to glory and revel and abound in love one toward another because of the love he gloried in and glories in and has abounded toward us. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.